podcast world, Cabin Studios. We are back for season five. This is Caribbean Power Lunch, where we feature Black-owned businesses. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and today I am joined by a longtime friend, my brother, Darius Marcelin. How yes, are you doing, sir? sir? We go back. We go back to... <laughs> Secondary school days. Yeah, dog. What do you said? Like basketball. T- today you said it was 20 years. I'm like, damn, I'm that old. I should yeah, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> so now you're, you know, you're a famous actor in Hollywood. You have a podcast now. You're also a motivational speaker. Yes, sir. But you know, let me just start and tackle one thing real quick here. Why do you say motivational speaker though because when you because when you look at the different types of um like speeches, right? So there's a informative speech, which is like a data dump on something. Right. Right? Tells, teach somebody about a new concept. There's a motivational talk where, you know, you get somebody fired up, but it's almost like it's temporary. Then there's an inspirational talk where you get somebody fired up, but it's, it's a longer lasting talk, right? Like, hey, change your life. But then you give a transformational talk and that changes the person. Right. You know, so, I mean, just a friendly advice. I think you want to be a transformational speaker. And I could, and researching you and listening to things you said, I think, I think you're on your way to that. All right, I'll, I'll put a note on there. <laughs> put a note on there. I'll be going back and forth through my Southern American accent, which I had to do for a role, and then Trinidadian, so it's back and forth. Well, I know you said you have to learn a lot of accents for your for your acting role. So, I mean, you, you learn these London accents, you learn the German accents, what? No, no German, just I did British, uh, Southern Sometimes West Coast, sometimes they, they might ask for Midwest. So in America, there's different regions. So you have to know where this character comes from. If he's upper class, lower class, middle class, how a guy from Georgia speaks. You know, so that last character I did was for a role for a guy who's from Georgia. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and this, and this was in what show? Uh, it's a movie coming out. One night in Miami and it's going up for one of the roles. So there's a character and he's famous NFL football player <laughs> and going up for one of those roles. So yeah, so coming from Trinidad to America, you have to learn these different accents if you want to be very marketed as an actor. You know, it's weird though that you can't really just, hey, well, just embrace for example if you look like a jamaican it's hard to get a jamaican to, to speak american accent like to actually lose that right. the indigenous jamaican accent and stuff you know and it's like it will values that you know it will appreciate that you know like us creepy people having our brands and so right what do you think about that yeah the world appreciates authenticity what the world appreciates you when you put your talents out there you're on this podcast right now do you will be rewarded. The world appreciates people who are authentic and be vulnerable. And those tend to always tend to be the billionaire people who are entrepreneurs or the crazy inventors or actors, musicians, those people who weren't afraid to put their stuff on SoundCloud. Because right now, as we speak, there's somebody who might be listening and their talents are right there in their hearts and they do not put it out. They will will not reward them. Yeah, I I definitely want to get to that later. Yeah, so in terms of going back to Caribbean and yeah, it's cool. Like Caribbean is authentic and that's great. But my agent would want me to audition for a guy who who's born in 
again, <laughs> Mississippi, or if that guy is from California, it's hard to be a Jamaican accent and portray that role. But there will be Jamaican roles coming up at some point for, for that guy, but he has to be able to do different things. And it's just like a product. As a company, you have to be able to sell different products for an investor to want to invest in you. He doesn't right. want to see just one thing. An agent is investing his time into you. So he, they want to see you could do a bunch of different things. If I could sing, if I could jump, if I could play, you know, football, anything. Every skill makes you a lot better in acting and in entrepreneurship. Interesting, interesting. And you know, you spoke about authenticity and vulnerability. And you know, just kind of kind of transition from that into I mean, I want to get into your, your story there. Right. So I want to get into all right. So we're born in Trinidad, we right. live in Trinidad, we go to we go to the best secondary school in Trinidad, St. Mary's College. And then we <laughs> then we decide, hey, what's going on? I want to move to New York. I mean, like walk me through that. Like, is it the textbook American dream or is there a specific reason? Yeah, so you know me for a long time and I was always a big Knicks fan, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so my dream as a kid was, I said, one day I wanted to play for the Knicks, but even if I didn't play for the Knicks, I wanted to be an entertainer. I was always an entertainer and I was always that person. I always had that dream in me and it never died. So even times when I was off, we didn't have practice, I would be practicing by myself for hours and hours into night. And I would play on my Walkman or just songs that motivated me. And I always saw a dream. It was crazy because my life then pushed me in different directions. I decided to play football, soccer instead to go to America and in like a combine they had here. Oh, is that the reason you switched from basketball to soccer? Yeah, because I, I thought I was too short to play and not knowing that like I could have balled when I got to New York, but I just saw it too short. So that's why I stopped. And then I said, all right, football will be the way that I get out there. And I got different offers from different schools that are across, but I said, I had to be in New York, went to St. Francis college in Brooklyn, New York, because a couple of the guys from our school went there as well too. And I was getting full scholarship plus P plus P. Plus pay. Yeah, I got $400 a month on top of what? free tuition. Yep, I got that. And that was my gateway to, to it. And I always kept in my mind, I always wanted, I kept my dream up of always wanting to entertain and one day I'm going to be on the world stage. Like that's my goal. And then I realized it wasn't basketball, it wasn't football. And I just, just still kept working. So for a while, when you're up there, it's like, you go to New York, you know, you have to check Darius. Darius, is right. the, Darius, you became one of the top men in the New York City lifeline, you know, New York City limelight. So right. tell us about that process. Though. Yeah. So while we were in college, maybe like my sophomore year, got involved in nightlife just randomly. And I guess it was a part of me that I never wanted to sell myself short. So I would leave as this, like, I started off as a nightclub promoters on the street, getting people in and... It went from there. I remember I had a flip phone. It wasn't even Blackberry. It was flip phone. Motorola, first, like, yeah, it was like a flip phone. And I started like working on that and using my network. I then started to create videos before people made any videos on, there was no Instagram, it was Facebook. I started making like video slideshows, getting all the videos I could get. And I used videos to market myself and what I was selling to people. And I had an eye for what people would have liked. So I made catchy videos and I marketed myself so well that 
everyone from all over the world started to come out with me until I started to network into celebrities. So celebrities were my phone book. And in this world, your network is your net worth. Oh, yeah. So Amen. that increased my value towards the nightclubs because now I have a Rolodex of some of the most gorgeous people in the world and then celebrities and then rich people, rich clients. So they're all right. Now we could put this guy on for like a more of a full time. He's not like that guy on the street hustling anymore. And into, I was into my junior year, I was earning six figures in college. I probably employed me and my partner who we went to school with, Troy. We had about, Troy? Yeah, we had about, I would say like, at one point in time, we had about 30 promoters that worked under us at the different nightclubs in New York. And we just stuck to who we were, Troy and I, and we were authentic. Everybody else <laughs> was assholes. And we, we were the <laughs> nice guys and we cared about people's feelings and we were true to who we were. We, we didn't switch that and up to today, we stick to who we are. And because of that, and everyone being the same as everybody else, it's we stood out from everybody else. And in one given night, and this is not even our club, we would, we would have like two, 300 people at some times. Like we'd have a hundred people come out with us from all over the world, Germany, from France, from Australia, from middle of nowhere in America, and Trinidad, yeah, man. <laughs> everyone, everyone from everyone from Marshall, Montana to everyone, I've has been out with me a night in New York, you know, Sean Paul, everybody, you know, so Caribbean, everything has been a night out with me in New York, and that business really grew to the point that we started to do other investments from nightlife to other investments, and and despite people had no concept of how much we earned. They thought we just partied and drink alcohol and that was it. They'll be like, oh, when are you getting a job? Or people in the Caribbean, <laughs> you know, like when you get in a real job and it's like your school teacher and like, you know, like no one tells a school teacher when you get in a real job, but I earned three times as much money as you do, you know? And we can't say that because now you're the asshole, you know? So, <laughs> but that's not how we took it. We had to take it in because that's some of the, like the, the battles that we had to deal with, deal with the outside folks, what people who didn't know the back end of what we really did. Everybody just thought we just partied, you know, like with celebrities, do this, hook up with people. And that just wasn't it. We just we respected people. And for us, that person who worked a long week at nine to five and wanted to just spend a good night out, be safe and being like the most exclusive venues in New York City, the best city in the world, and they would just turn to us for that experience. You know, they, they trusted us with that experience. And we, we served that for over a decade. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really interesting to notice. I mean, I'm seeing a, a constant trend, and especially as, you know, knowing you all this time and being on the basketball team with you, where you were actually our captain, our basketball captain for under 17 and under 20. And I always remember how aggressive you were in practice and how aggressive you were in games just to make sure, you know, we get that point, you know, you draw that foul, whatever it is. And then I also know, I mean, we kind of skipped over it, but when you moved, when you initially moved to New York, you and your mom were actually cleaning people's houses. Yeah. You never used to do that in Trinidad. Nah, that, that's actually what I used to tell people that. I was like, <laughs> I never did that before, but I thought coming to America, I, I had no idea where America was. It was weird. I used to go there because, you know, family there, mom there. So I used to go, but I never understood that like, I used to go in the summertime too. I never even went to the winter. <laughs> so I used to go there and not understanding how hard and cool New York was because if I moved to Florida, it could be similar climate to Trinidad. People were slow laid back, but in New York it's like, you have to pay rent. You have to do this. And, and I was playing soccer 
had a 4.0 GPA and on Friday evenings, we'd have to go to New Jersey to clean rich people's homes for a hundred bucks and that money would last me a week for food, you know, and that, that wasn't the life I was used to in Trinidad. I used to like people prepare meals for you, doing your laundry, whatever. Uh, you grew up mama's boy in Trinidad, but yeah. when you're there, you know, one bedroom, I sleeping on the floor when I just get there and, and just, I always had entrepreneurial skills, um, even from school to everything else. I used to always want to start something, but I remember one of the first things that I used to get myself out of that hole was I used to save money. And I, when the iPhone was just coming out, I bought the first iPhone and I used to come back to Trinidad to sell it for three times the money. <laughs> so when I I got that phone, I got a hookup from a guy in, in New York buying used phones. I would sell the 150 phone I bought and I sell that back in Trinidad for $900. So then I take that money, buy two more. Then that's how I started to get money. And then from there, I started to build my business. That way I was like, all right, I get myself out to the traveling to New Jersey to clean homes. But that was an eye opener for me. Okay. So we were comfortable in Trinidad-ish. Right. You know, we go, we go Very. to New York. Very. <laughs> we go to New York and sleep on the floor. Like at what point, like at any point in time, you're lying on this floor and you're looking up in the sky and looking up in the ceiling and thinking, wait, should I just go back home? No, never. When I had that dream as a kid and I look, because we were in a tall building in Brooklyn. So when you look out, you see city, you see Empire State Building, you see bright lights. And you see that, like my, my mom was like, yo, it's snowing outside. You going outside to promote? I was like, yeah. And for, for like $30. I was like, yeah. But when I first started, I was like, yeah. Yeah, I, I gone. Like it wasn't even a question. I was there. 45 minute train ride to the city. You walk there, you stand with your umbrella. You're cold. I'm from the Caribbean, cold. Mm -hmm. But it was just, I never wanted to, to not win. And same thing like with basketball. I was always like, I couldn't lose like this. You know, I just, I just couldn't lose like this. I was like, I have to give the best that I could give. And I was like young. So I was like, yo, you could do this. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. And and you guys will be partying Sunday to Sunday. I mean, you'll be promoting seven, Sunday to seven, Sunday. Yeah, seven days a week. Seven days, seven a, days week. a week. Just for people who might be interested. Like, how is that revenue model work though? Because I remember when we, when we go out with you guys, you get two bottles free at a table free. Uh, you had the company right. of some of other people free. Right. It's like, how do they make money? Do they just make money from the profile, from the club is getting profiles? Hey, look at all these people uh, are coming to the club. Like, how does that work out? There's many different types of clubs in LA, but I'll just focus on the clubs that I did. Yeah, I mean, New York, sorry. <laughs> New York and LA. But in the clubs in New York that are focusing in Manhattan, and I would say Manhattan because Brooklyn is different, we did the exclusive one. So they were smaller, they were smaller than a lot of others. You didn't have to pick over, but the ones that celebrities used to go to. So what we did was we built a reputation to the point that we were allowed to work at these places. And they said, all right, well, you have such a good, you know, you have celebrities that come over with you. You have guys that spend three, $4,000 a night with you. Um, you have best looking people with you. So we trust you that we'll give you a salary for night and say, look, you just host a table and we just trust that you would produce one of those factors, if not all that night. So uh, two bottles of vodka for them was like, at ten ten dollars each, but there's a guy who's sitting next to me who's spending ten thousand dollars. Like I have a client who spent two hundred thousand dollars in one night. So that kind of spending and like it's it's nothing for me to give a few hundred dollars or whatever to to the guy next to you to make sure that that club is filled with 
the right people. That's what it is. A lot of people think it's racist, but it's not. It's just the right people. So okay, so the right people are the people who have the money to spend and who are attractive and well groomed. Yeah, or, or even it could even be like guys, because sometimes people think, oh my god, like they're not letting him in the club. But it's like if a guy is dressed in a button down and he looks like he's going to church, like that's not the look that they want. You know, they want somebody who's cool, dude. Like you know, like you went off white, or you just know what's up. You know, because a guy who's wearing a button down just to church shit and pants and like you see those people who come out to the club and like they're from a foreign and they're like dressed up in long sleeve. And it's like, yeah, you just don't belong here. It could be whatever race, you, just, you don't belong here. Not this vibe, not this club. This is your, the wrong club. The other club is for you, but this one is for people who know how to act. Because like now if that person sees a celebrity, they're going to freak out and take pictures and act wild. But person who's cool and it knows knows what's up and they dress cool they've been around celebrities it's no big deal you know they've been around kim kardashian before it's no big deal it's been around kanye no big deal so that's what the clubs they kind of curate a crowd and that then translates into a party okay so I mean for you right having these all these celebrities come come to you to party with you to you know you're hosting all these celebrities and stuff like at what point, you know, were you initially nervous meeting with these guys the first time? Like I see yeah. you, you and Trevor Noah became really good friends. Right. You know, but like the first time meeting these guys, meeting the Kanye's, meeting yeah. 50 Cent. And I was nervous as hell. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm shaking like one time. I remember it was one time because we know a bunch of like EPL players and um, all the guys from Liverpool, Manchester City. But I remember one time, Trey and I sat down in a Starbucks in, in Meatpacking and we saw like Manchester team walk in. And this was like, 2012, they walk in their Starbucks, all of them to get a uh, coffee. And I was like, yo, that's right. That's Manchester team. So yeah, we have to go talk to them. We have to go get their numbers, right? Cause they're going to be in town. They want to go out. So we was like, our nervous. It's like, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. <sighs> Deep breath. <laughs> Deep breath. All right, cool. Walk up to Joe Hart. He was on the team. Get a cliche. Can I race, man? And he's like, all right, yeah. It's like, yo, guys, if you guys want to go out, you know, me and my boy here, we handle all the nightlife, we work with all the celebrities, you know, because everybody in New York has a pitch. So it's like, how's your pitch going to be different from this? But they took on number down, it was cool. Um, back then it was like, Carlos Tevez was on the team, it was like New Man City. And so all those guys are there. Then apparently they went to a club in New York and they all got braced because no one knew who they were. <laughs> like no one knows like soccer players in America even they as it was like Carlos Tevez Aguero like all these guys no one knew who they were they couldn't get in so then they hit us up to come to the club that we were at and you're like alright yeah you could come you know <laughs> and then they come in and, and then became buddies with like and when you treat people right cause Sometimes other guys or other nightclub promoters would charge those guys like a two grand just to get them in. We're like, yo, just come in and do whatever. Those guys and just- That's crazy. Why would they do that if they know they're going to make, get money and profile from these guys? That's how it is. That's how, <laughs> that's how stupid people think. And we just, be, I became friends with a lot of the English Premier League guys. And up to today, I was like working out with like Origi and UCLA like a few weeks ago and- I was all with Bernardo Silva. Like I was texting him yesterday, you know, cause I wanted to come to November and it's just like a network was formed in Europe with all the players. And those are like the most high profile people in Europe. And, and they are where they, they go to guys in America. Like how you say go to guys. Cause 
that actually brings me to my next question. So I was listening to you and you were speaking about your pitch. And recently I read this book called Key Person of Influence. Right. How to be the go-to person in your industry, in your niche. Right. right? So essentially you and Troy were the go-to guys in New York nightlife, right? And the key person of influence formula it is five layers. The first thing is pitch. Right. The next thing, well, I can't remember the proper order, but but um, this pitch you gotta publish, so you know you gotta let me, let yourself known. So social media, write a book, what have you, YouTube, whatever. Products, you have some, you have to have something to sell. Your profile, you know. So do people know, like, and trust you? Like you said, you know, based on how you treat right. people. And then the last thing is partnerships. Do you partner with other promoters? Maybe you partner with um, brands, or right. or you partner with the nightclubs. Yeah. All right. So it's really interesting that, you know, you said that your first thing was your pitch, you know? So like how, I mean, how did you all refine your pitch? Like, cause people can have a, a standard pitch, automatic pitch and people be like, okay, yeah, I heard that before. But when you really craft your pitch and you really differentiate yourself right. with your pitch and you really show how you really add value to somebody else, that's when you really get them to latch on. So what was your pitch like? And how do you all well, like go about crafting? The first thing I do with a pitch, so even... In business right now, in all the stuff that I'm doing right now, in acting, in in speaking, in in nightlife, my pitch, I would always say, I would look at, I embody the other person I'm pitching to, to see, okay, if this person's coming up to me in New York City, what is their appearance like? What would I feel if I saw this person come up to me, and that what would I think if that person was coming up to me and I'll give you an example, if a com- person was coming up to me, like all scared and timid, I would not have confidence into them. But if I came up to that person, look them straight in the eye and say, Hey buddy, like I have m- my pitch and everything I do. I always say, Oh, I met this person through you a year, a year ago, <laughs> just cause that lowers their wall. So I'll be like, even I may not have met Joe Hart's cousin a year ago, but I met, this person on this team last year, I met. Oh yeah, I met Vincent Company last year. He said you're a good guy. You guys didn't talk. That immediately lowers their guard because in a guarded city like New York, no one's ever gonna stop to talk to you. Yeah. And New York like trains you. If you make it there, you can make it anywhere. And, like New York trains you through failure and failure and failure. Like New York trains you to to learn to adapt pretty quick. And if I was in Nashville, Tennessee, I might not have to throwing a name, nickname for a pitch but that's just how it is in, in business and even in, in my acting if I'm pitching to an agent I'm going to be like hey well, I was referred to you by this person <laughs> I have seen all of this on air but I'll drop it anyway but yeah I, that's stuff that I do when I have a 100% record but I know that I could deliver the second you meet with me you know, and I know I could deliver. That's the next part. It's like, could you deliver? Like, I'm not going to pitch to anybody if I can't deliver. So I, with Joe Hart and all those guys, like, I knew I could deliver a good product for them. I just needed their walls to be down. I got you. All right. So you have your nightclub promotions company with your partner, Troy. Right. Um, the Troy Report. What's the name of it? It's Troy Gordon. We retired the Troy Report. Okay. So what's the name of the company? TTR Group. Trinidad and Tobago Revolutionaries. Oh, I thought it was the Troy Report Group. <laughs> okay, so Trinidad and Tobago Revolutionaries. Love it. Okay. And then you guys decided to, to become like an investor in a Caribbean restaurant. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, so we had uh, one of the partners. She found a place in Williamsburg and she believed in the concept of Troy and I and our brand. And and again, 
it's all based off how you brand yourself and everything like that. And she wanted to bring us up. Like we were, she's Trinidadian. She's like, all right, let's bring you guys together. Let's let's open this place. And we have a good presence in our demographic from Trinidad as well as in America across the world. So as partners and even if, if I'm doing our business, I always tend to look for people I could like collab with that could bring different things to the to the business and um she saw that and we became partners in pearls about almost five years ago clyde's uh, bar right next door so that's running in new york and that's been great and pearls is like the premier place i would say to go to in in new york because uh it gives you a good vibe and it's not like you know you could go to brooklyn but williamsburg is such a different vibe because i see like Asian people going in there and like 50 year old white man going into there as opposed to every other place in like Flatbush. It's like a Caribbean crowd. It's kind of cool leaving your natural place and your natural crowd dining with the same type of food, but with a different crowd. That's part of culture. You know, so, and you got that pecan shark, you got all these foods that are kind of indigenous to Trinidad, right. right? You got the pecan shark, you got the Caribs. calorie, you have the Caribbean yeah, Carib, style. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the acting now. Acting? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're in New York, right? right? So what gets you to the city? What's going on? I am set in New York. I have a business that is thriving, more than six figures in my bank account and growing, right? What gets you to say, hey, what's going to happen? I'm going to uproot myself from here and move to LA, a city where maybe, maybe you have a network there based on people you used to bring across in New York right. to party with you and everything, but it's still a new city, a new experience. Like what made you desire that change after what, what was it? Six, seven years of promotion in New York? <laughs> 10. Okay. Yeah. I was definitely very comfortable in New York. My life was, was cool. I, I had work. I was making decent money. I lived in a nice building. I had my friends. I had family in New York. So go back a little bit to getting into acting. I started doing improv comedy in New York first. So I was doing improv comedy at UCB. Really? Um, yeah. And it's just one of those things I was so shy and so vulnerable about doing and like, I would never post it or anything like that. I was just like my little improv group. And I remember it was back in the day. Uh, one of the guys from the Jersey Shore, Vinny, he was like, yo man, like you should take this class and da 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 and, and you should go into acting and everything. I was like, yeah, man, for real. And I was so scared of doing improv comedy because it's very like spontaneous and stuff like that. And I started working in class with an actor named Mark John Jeffries. He gets shout out a lot. Um, he's a working actor. He's been on Power. Right, Mark. <laughs> he's been on a bunch of stuff. And Mark's class is very raw. It's very like, it's very New York. A lot of New York characters. And New York characters would probably say if anybody in this planet is full with character, it would be anybody from New York because you sit on a subway, you go in an elevator. Everywhere you go, you're always surrounded with people. You're always around people. And with that, you inherently pick up characteristics from different people. So I might now know what a construction worker, how he sits on a train. You could tell what a person who works at FedEx, like when he's going home from work, how tired he looks. Like you learn so much about characters from, from just being in New York and being around people that even if you don't think about it, you already know. So if somebody gives you a script and be like, all right, you're a construction worker going home, 
you already could embody that. I don't have to go research that. I already know that that's New York. So his class was filled with a lot of raw, new, talented actors, but haven't been on anything. Just a talented actors and just trying to making them sharpening their skills and giving them some acting etiquette. Right? <laughs> it was raw. Yeah. And in his class, in a matter of no time, I, I kind of like propelled to being one of the top actors in his class. And he also had a good exercise, which I wanted to throw in there to, to show how how crazy his classes were. We would go to Times Square and act scenes like from different scripts. And it could be like domestic violence scene in the middle of Times Square. Like, don't grab me, don't grab me. And we are in character acting and everyone is around us, watching us, recording us, thinking that we are fighting and we are doing scenes in class in Times Square. And with that, I feel like right now you could give me a, a stage and I could just jump up on any stage and just perform and act because I have no fear of a crowd. I don't, I just see my goal and see my target and simple exercises acting a class in Times Square <laughs> literally changed my life and gave me so much confidence. That's amazing. Yeah. And from his class, I then auditioned and got into a lady by the name of Susan Batson. And she's like Nicole Kidman's like go-to lady. Oprah goes to her. Um, a lot of big actors go to her. And I got into her studio and then shaped my life. And I was became very like mystic into the way I look at characters on a page. And, and you had to like tap into moments in your life that her training is method acting. And sometimes I would tap into moments in my life where it was very sad and the smell of, so I lost a loved one and that day at the funeral and how it smelled. And I, I would use those moments to put on script when I have to. So it, it became real. So I trained with her. I did a couple of TV shows in, in New York. The cop shows you see me around. And one day on set, um, the makeup guy was like, I think you will do so good in New York, in LA. And with that, I asked my friends, I asked everyone. I bought a one-way ticket. I was like, everyone, I'm leaving in May, moving to LA. Something just came over me. It's one of those things. And I just moved to LA. <laughs> so you just moved to LA. Just moved to LA. <laughs> so, I didn't have a big network. I, I thought I knew people, but LA is not like that. Like I thought I knew people, but when I got there, it was crickets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, all right. So tell us about that. So you pick up your stuff. I mean, you probably would have told your friends like a few months in advance or so. Right. You had time to sell your stuff in New York to migrate, move yourself from New York. But like, tell us about your reward process. You, know, you go there to get an apartment. How do you go there to even find work, to find your agents? And yeah. Everything? Well, my friend connected me with a girl who's a, a producer there and she was so nice and she showed me around Los Angeles. She should have said, all right, this is the town you live in. Blah, blah, blah. So I did a scouting visit. Then I was like, all right, this is where I live. Got the apartments numbers. Uh, went to check out cars. Had to get a car. I uh, sold my car in New York. And then came back and I was like, all right, I know where I'm going to live. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to survive. I have savings. I'm going to survive. And well, now I'm on savings. I set some businesses and everything up so I could get money. But still, it's not the same as if I was like doing the nightclub promotions, you know? So move out to, to Los Angeles. And from day one, I start pitching a message about 200 agents in Los Angeles with different pitches like, hey, da -da 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 -da, no response. Hey, da -da -da -da, no response. Let me change this up now. Instead of saying, hey, I say, greetings. You know, like I would change different things up 
because when I realized the pitch didn't work or I just had to get more information. I was green. I wasn't even ready for an agent. But commercial agent picked me up. Uh, manager picked me up. And manager then shaped my career. He's like, look, your headshots are too New York. It's too serious, too dramatic. In LA, the colors are brighter and you need commercial this. And LA is a very big commercial town. And commercials, believe it or not, pay you more money than you do in movies. Are you serious? Yes. So the guy you see in the McDonald's commercial that shows over and over again, he makes, probably made like over a hundred thousand dollars from that if it shows over and over because you get residuals and movies you don't get residuals. So if you're a new actor doing a first film, you're not going to make one tenth of what you do for a national commercial spot. Also, it's money. You had the Hemi money. Darius, you had the, the yeah, jackpot. Nick, Nick, nickname is money. Yeah. D money. <laughs> D money. <laughs> so yeah, you say you had the jackpot there by focusing on commercials. Uh, yeah, I spent the first year focusing on commercials and I did two national commercials. I did a bunch of different magazine features, billboards, and I made that, making this sound easy, but a lot of it was was my faith in the universe and everything that was planned for me, destined for me, and me wanting it. But I was lucky enough to book those stuff. And every time I look in the mail, I'm like, all right, I'm not working. I see a big check in the mail from this this one commercial. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes. You were on Oprah? I was on Oprah's magazine. <laughs> I was on Oprah's magazine. And nice. on my vision board, I put Oprah's face on my magazine. So Oprah saw me. <laughs> nice yeah she's one of the people I look up to so she saw me and I listened to her everything that she does so. yeah I know you're big into vision boards and visualization right, I'm and huge I'm huge in it huge it's all like how much of your success have you have you visualized from before so as a eight, nine, ten year old I vision envision myself in Madison Square Garden and my teens I envision myself being on a big stage and now I envision myself at the Emmys, at the Oscars, and on my vision board, my 2017 vision board, I would say 90% of the stuff I stuck out and put on there came through. Like I cut out Men's Health Magazine. I was like, all right, I need to get in shape. I was on Men's Health Magazine. I put, I want to be a working commercial actor. Yeah, I booked national commercials. I want to start my podcast. Today I started a podcast. I wanted to be in three feature films. I did two movies this year and one last year. My vision board really, I would say it's the foundation of my life because I literally see myself in those positions. I see myself receiving the awards. I feel it. I smell it. I know what I'm wearing. I know when I say I want to be a working actor like this year, for sure, I know I'm going to get a really good role this year. I know it. I feel it. I'm not going to talk about it right now, but I know it. I feel it. I visualize it. I see it. I write it on the board and it's going to come through. You know, it's really cool that for you, your success could almost be like a deja vu moment because you, it's right. like you saw it already. Yeah. So I, I don't get surprised anymore. All right. So the reason why I'm in Trinidad right now Right, because I have a I have a quantum book that I have in my bag right there. So I'm in Trinidad right now because I got booked by the Trinidad Hilton to come do an event. So in my quantum book, I wrote, I want to come visit my family in Trinidad this summer. 
I visualized being in Trinidad. I visualized it. I wrote it in my book, like at least, I'll say six weeks ago, five days later, get an email from an agency in Miami. Hey, the Trinidad Hilton wants to book you to come to Trinidad to do an event for arts. And it's going to be paid for. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, but I'm not surprised anymore because I wrote it in there and I know everything in my book is going to come true. And I feel it. I envision it. I feel every piece of success. I feel me impacting people. I know I'm going to impact people all across the world. Like it's, it's a given. So I don't live in fear anymore. I don't have fear of flying or fear of dying or anything like that. I don't, I don't have that fear because I know I'm given a mission to help and inspire people. And until I've completed my mission, maybe I'll get fearful after that, but, <laughs> but I have no fear. No, I don't have any fears. And I, I live by this world of, of meditation and, and the quantum world of the universe of infinite possibilities. And I became very spiritual since I moved to Los Angeles. Now that's amazing, man. You know, I want to be, I want to be careful about, you know, how we speak about the law of attraction, right? That whole positive thinking and you visualize and then it will happen because then, you know, you might have people that say, okay, well, I'm just going to sit on my couch and, and just visualize. Like right now I could just visualize, hey, let me visualize myself being a billionaire. You yeah. know, but, but really and truly there's some, some actions you really need to take. There's the right. attitude you need to have. There's work you need to put in it. So you want to make sure and make that clear, especially for the, for the listeners. Yeah. I, I would also say, you say you want to be a billionaire because a lot of people say, I want to win the lottery, right? But how many people say, I know what I'm wearing when I win the lottery? Like do, do people say, oh, I know what cologne I had on. You have to be so detailed in it. And I guess a lot of that came from me with my studies with that, with Susan Watson and how detailed I was in experiences where we had to visualize stuff. I visualize myself in Mensa. I visualize, I visualize all these things in maybe 28 months I'm in LA. And I said, all those things I did was there would not having any like connections to get. And I've detailed visualized what I wanted. Detailed visualized I was going to be in Trinidad. Not, I just want to be in Trinidad and sit down. I did sit down. I didn't do anything. It came, but the universe, like I, I did align myself and I did, as you said, I was speaking, I was putting on content. So people knew who I was. So it's, yeah, you're right. It's a combination of both, but you have to be very detailed in how you visualize yourself. So less than two years after you moved to LA, right. you know, you book your commercials, you're in Oprah's magazine, a couple other magazines, Men's Health, a few movies, you launch a podcast, which you originally wanted it to be a YouTube channel. Right. Podcast and YouTube. I wanted to do both. Right. A Thousand Failures. Tell us about that, man. I love yeah. that name. Yeah. One Thousand Failures is my podcast on Spotify, on Apple iTunes right now. Plug! Um, <laughs> it's on there. I created it for dreamers and people like me who dream a lot to realize that on your way to success, you have to be prepared to fail 1,000 times. If you're not prepared to fail 1,000 times, you are not going to be successful because most people are going to stop on your first failure. I am prepared to go into an audition room 1,000 times right now. So even if it's like, okay, I have money saved right now. I have a job this. Emotionally, I'm prepared to not get a job 1,000. I'm prepared right now to do this 1,000 times and stick with it. And 
I have everyone who's on my show. So my first season is based off of actors and becoming, it's called Becoming an Actor, season one. And I have people who are casting directors who are the people, if you don't know what a casting director is, those are the people who pick, all right, I'm going to be in this movie. This, this casting director gets the people and the director picks whoever. I have casting directors. I have agents, movie agents. I have actors. And talent managers you got talent manager, coaches right. there. and then in my last episode this one girl from who was on Game of Thrones yeah. and she talked about her story of failure and she was working as a silver and was offered a big job for Fox five year contract and she turned it down because it wasn't the rule for her and she stuck with it and she went back to work it and she was on Game of Thrones and she just did a huge movie so she taught me when I sat right next to her, I was like, wow, you could say no to people? I was like, that's cool. And that sounds like a leap of faith to me. Right. So just different stories of actors and how many times they had to go through failure in order to be successful. So I think a lot of people don't get to see that back end story. And that's how my podcast came about. And it didn't come about for me and for promoting myself. It came out. It is for creators. It is for actors. It's going to be for musicians. I'm going to have one season for like basketball players and football players so that people could see what it's like as a high school basketball player and what it's like to come up and do that struggle. That's interesting. So every season has its own, has its own theme, has its own arc. Correct. And each season is like what, 10 episodes or so? It's going to be 25 episodes. Okay. So you have about 15 more episodes of becoming an actor. Right. To release. That's interesting. I saw and, you. and then we go on to uh, an artist, then a musician. Awesome, man. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's well conceptualized, man. So you got a professional model on there. You got how to get onto the Emmy stage and all of that. Right. So the Emmy stage is really cool. This one guy... He, my boy James, I met him on a, a movie set I was on for this BET movie and uh, this year. And I said, yo, James, come on, we just met. And he got problems being casted because he's 6'5". So when he reads with an, another actor, it's just so hard to cast him right away. It's like, he's so tall. Right. And it's, he just didn't get casted. So he wrote his own series and shot it. And he did it so well that Issa Rae picked it up and he got nominations for eight Emmy nominees like last year, some more this year, just from this series. It got, he got daytime Emmy nominations from it. So his failures like propelled him. And he said like, he was about to leave LA. He was about to quit. He got robbed the day. And he was like, yo, he didn't even have food in his fridge, but he stuck with it no matter what. So I feel like showing that side of, people get scared from the word failure I don't he showed his sides of failure and turned his failure into perseverance and his perseverance into success so I've seen the five star ratings I've seen the reviews and stuff people have benefited a lot from, from what you're doing people have learned a lot people are getting confidence and in, in being able to accept feel their initial failures and stuff in the process of becoming an actor and everything but what I'm interested in, Darius, is what have you learned from talking to these people? Oh man, I've I've learned from that my one friend Ashley, who was on from Game of Thrones, that I could say no to jobs that aren't for me. Cause I did a job this year. I'm not gonna call it out, but I didn't really want to do it. It wasn't like my type of character, and I still did it. And I'm watching her as a waitress turned on a multi, a big deal that she could have been well paid off and everything, and she turned it on because it wasn't for her. 
I knew I, I could trust what's for me is for me now. And I could see, you no, know, I learned perseverance. I've learned strength and courage from different actors. I've also learned the other side of the business. So me bringing casting directors and agents on, I now learn, oh, so you do put red flags on people who are late. You know, like I didn't know stuff like that. So for me, it's also a process I've learned. And it's also a process I've learned for speaking and, and confidence and and learning how to connect with people. So I've I've learned so much skills from just doing podcasts and hearing the feedback from people emailing me and, and, and reaching out for like mentorship. It's been really great. Interesting. You know, we were talking about visualization exercises and before you hit record, you, you told me you listened to the episode I did with Chelly and Gajadar. Right. Now, after I interviewed Shelly, and, and I keep saying this in a, in a few episodes, Shelly and I did a visualization exercise, right? So I did a visualization exercise and where I saw myself was on, was on a black leather couch in Los Angeles, funny enough. And what I'm doing there is that I am one of the, the top interviewers on the world and I had my own show. And to me, it was so weird. It's like, I never, never conceptualized wanting to move to Los Angeles. Like, I, I think I was in a trance. I keep right. joking with her that I, that I was hypnotized, but it was so weird. It's like, um, I'm in Los Angeles and I'm an interviewer. I'm wearing a blazer, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dressed the part and everything. I mean, where, where I really want to go with that little um, tangent is that, you know, the Caribbean is really full of a lot of raw creative talent and a lot of passion, right? But many find it difficult to break through and, and find a certain level of success, you know, be able to actually get to Hollywood and all that, be, be seen on the main stage, be seen by the world as opposed to just, you know, by your peers, right? Would you say that you actually need to move, you need to get out, out of your island and fly to New York, fly to LA, fly to wherever it is to get that kind of recognition? Can you make it happen while still living in the Caribbean? Yeah, you could. I think first before you say you want to become an actor, before you want to become a, a singer, a DJ, a world-class interviewer. A world-class interviewer. I, I feel like you have to have a bigger purpose than yourself. So also like you want to do it for yourself and these are your dreams. You also have to have a bigger purpose because the person in Los Angeles could just do it for, for clout, as they say, and for fame. Um, but they live in Los Angeles. They might come from a wealthy family. They may have connections. They could get on. They might have the look. But coming from the Caribbean, your journey is going to be a little bit different. And you have to have an extra fight than that person who is in Los Angeles. Your fight, you have to outwork every single person in Los Angeles. You have to outwork every single person in New York. You have to sell yourself. You have to offer those studio networks something different and better than a pretty face in, in Los Angeles. I think people in the Caribbean are really, really smart. After living in New York and in Los Angeles and, and being a citizen of America right now, I could easily say that our schooling and everything shapes us to have the high work ethic. And we are really, really smart people, really talented. I met this fella in a high profile party. I was at the Tigers launch, music launch, right? This true story, pay attention if you fall asleep right now. True story. Two months ago in LA, West Hollywood, Tigers launched his new album. And me and Akil and my, my whole Trinity crew, we we up in this place. And Akil's talking to like this one dude and he's like this nerdy little dude with glasses on. And I was like, yo, who's that? He's like, yo, this 
this guy's from Trinidad. Say, like, what? Is you from Trinidad? Like, yeah. He said, yeah, boy. I'm from Trinidad. Say, like, what? And then this guy is from Orofuch. And he's a producer. And he put his music on SoundCloud. Then a DJ found his music. Can't say certain words I'm going to say, but the DJ liked his music. <laughs> and, and then got him to LA. And that's what message I send to people on my podcast is like, you could be in middle of America. You could be in the Caribbean. You could be a Caribbean right now in Trinidad on a mic. And your dreams is to be a talk show host. What you should do is have a bigger purpose. So have that purpose to be, man, in the back of your mind, you want to change the Caribbean is like so much crime was so much youths on going the wrong way. I want to set the example. Let that be one of your fuels. Yeah, my mom, I want to do this for my family. I want to do this for my family, my blood. Yeah, that's another one. And a big one is just for yourself and for your dreams. Yeah, I want to change the world. I want to leave a legacy. Yeah. I want to leave a legacy. I don't want to go out in a coffin one day and they forget about me after the week. I want to leave a legacy. I want people to say, wow, this guy changed my life. You know, that's how I want to go out. So I stay up till like 5 a.m., 6 a.m., working at night because I don't want to go out. Like, I want people to remember me. I want to make an impact. So if you're from the Caribbean, if you're from middle America, if you're from nowhere, nowhere, like you're off the map, but you have internet, you have talents, and you have YouTube. YouTube will show you how to put everything out there, Right? Use your unique accent. Use your unique talents. Use your unique passion. Don't follow anybody else's accounts. Use your own unique stuff and put it out there and the right people will find it in the right time. But keep putting it out there. Keep putting it Put your podcast out there. Put your music out there. Yeah, you're going to have some crap songs, but put all your music out there. Like just give your best. Make it authentic. Make it Caribbean. Don't go singing rap music if you're from the Caribbean, like they, like New York has the best rappers, you know, like they don't need another New York rapper, but do something with a Caribbean twist. So if you're like a Trinidadian rapper, rap and give them some of the Caribbean flavor. You guys like to whine, you like to jump up, like give them something of that. And, and then that will open their eyes. Like people are opening their eyes to Afrobeats right now. You know, it was like dance all at one time. So it's like be authentic to who you are put it out there. Don't stop. Like if you think that you need to have a YouTube page and you're getting 10 views, keep putting it out there. Keep putting your content, go on YouTube to make sure you're doing it the right way. YouTube. I do use YouTube. I've never mixed anything in my life. I learned everything I've learned from YouTube, my podcast and everything, even how to like work my LinkedIn account, how to tricks on Instagram. Like I've learned everything I've done on YouTube because I honestly don't like to read that much books. My attention span doesn't go that way. I like to read scripts, films, TV, YouTube. I get all my information that way on news. You don't like to read books, but you know, scripts. Yeah. The scripts is the only thing I read. And I say that cause I got, I, I'm always myself, you know, I'm always myself. I'm not going to pretend, oh yeah, I read this, but no, I don't like reading, but my mind goes everywhere. But if you put me on a YouTube channel, that is something I'm interested in. I'm going to follow that. I'm going to write notes. I'm going to read those notes back to me. But yeah, I, I get all the information I need to get. So YouTube has everything. SoundCloud, if you're on music and just follow, follow the footsteps of people who've got gotten found, learn from them. Like I follow Steve Harvey, 
I know everything there is to know about Steve Harvey. I know everything there is to know about Oprah. I know everything there is to know about Denzel Washington. I know everything there is to know about, I'm learning everything about Idris Elba. I'm learning things about people who I want to, to be like, but I'm going to be myself. Yeah. Just the other day, I was interviewed for this, um, for this podcast, uh, We Are Crayons, a local podcast. And he was asking me about, you know, my creative process and everything. And, and I was saying to me, it's like, all right, so you borrow from the people you admire. So I'm talking about interviewing, right? So I borrow from the top interviewers in the world, you know, the David Letterman, John Harbinger, the um, Carl Fussman, whoever, right? But you always add your own spin. You always add your Kevin spin. You always add your Darius spin or whatever it is, right? And just back on purpose, like, it's not about me. I mean, recently I started hosting friends' weddings or um, even I'm doing a podcast. If I'm going to give a talk somewhere, I always tell myself it's not about me. Like right now I'm talking to you, it's not about me. It's about you and it's about the audience. And I used to have this fear of public speaking and I, and I realized, Kevin, it's not, about, it's not about you. Nobody cares about you. I tell myself it's not about you. It's about achieving your objective. Right. Yeah, to be honest, like if you told me like 20 years ago, Kevin Valley would have a be on a podcast talking to people. I would say, no, you're a shy guy. Like you're a good guy. You're a shy guy, mm -hmm. but not seen like that type. So I know if I had to guess, I would say you had to overcome a big hurdle in your life uh, of vulnerability to put yourself out there because you were not that person. You weren't the outspoken one, but now you're the outspoken one. And I would guess that, you know, and I respect that. You know, it's, it's funny to actually hear somebody say that. And that really proves that you know me for so long because so many people now, like, they don't know a Kevin that is not outspoken. They don't know a Kevin that's shy. Kevin, you're shy. Kevin, stop joking. What, what changed in your life? Boy, lots, boy, lots, boy. Um, well, what crossed that barrier that you just came on a mic to speak to people that you can't see and to press send on the podcast when you have to put it on the server and let the world know and judge you? It was a call-in, boy. Right. It was a call in. It was just like, I just saw this blatant gap in terms of promoting black business, black entrepreneurship throughout the Caribbean. Right. I saw everybody else's businesses be promoted, being known and everything. Nobody knows what black businesses really and truly. You might know about, uh, about pockets of them, but it's not, not on such a grand scale. Right. Like before I was about to start this podcast, people would be like, Kevin, how are you going to find enough black businesses to, to run a show? Right now we're talking, this is going to be episode... 40 something. Yes. You know what I mean? Nah, it's proud of you, man. I'm nah, yeah, proud of you. Right. So just for that, it's like, just for the purpose of getting that out there. And also I didn't want to have no stiff business conversation, right? That's, that's just not me. I'm just, I'm relaxed and everything. I said, all right, let's be different. I don't come with a list of questions. I say, let's just have a conversation. So I did some notes before talking to you, but I hardly look at them, you know? Yeah. I'm always thinking about, okay, what will be beneficial to the audience? What will keep the audience engaged for an hour? Because it's always a long podcast. Why black businesses? Well, you said because it wasn't put it out there, but what sparked that in you? Okay, so Anthony Bourdain, he came and did his show here and he was on the boat with the Syrian family. Right. And they said that we are less than 1% of the population, but we control so much of the wealth. Right. And lots of lots of Trinidadian and Caribbean people got upset and they took to Facebook and, and started to write and say, how they could say that, how they could say that. But to me, to me, they, they told no lies. So it, it made me get a little introspective and I started to think, okay, well, let's look at the other 
the other racial groups, right? So we have the Chinese Association, which is right there, five minutes from here, right? Everybody knows what the Chinese business is and everything. The East Indian community in Trinidad is very close-knit. You know, if you go to South and Central, I worked in South for a while, so I know about the business community there. I know how family-oriented it is. I see businesses with, with clear succession plans. Fathers will bring their children to meet with me in the bank to discuss their finance. And I'm talking about these children that are like 10 years old, Iris. Wow. They will now finish writing exams or whatever. They'll be on vacation. They'll come in. They come in with daddy and mommy to discuss business in the bank. You don't see that in black people so often. Right. You know, it, with, with black people, you'd see a lot of segregation. I'll just use this example. Let's say you, you see some black people in the in the depressed areas, in the hood or what have you, causing trouble, fighting with police and all of that. And then the educated blacks, the middle-income blacks would be like, okay, well, they're not us. You know, we are better than them, but really and truly, they are, they're us too. Yeah. I love how you analyze that. And I was telling you before, like I had that conversation. Mm-hmm. I think even in America, Trinidad as well too, our history kind of determines who we are right now. And I would say like in Compton and, and in LA, the black and in New York or like Chicago, wherever black people in poor areas, they, they ran from the slave masters and, and, and this is bad treatment from the South uh, in those days. And I think I, I, one part of what you said about the middle in, income and middle class black people in the Caribbean and they'd like to be a part, that's so true. And I think a lot of it has to do with our history of colonialism and it's just an effect of it because I was saying earlier on, like just living in LA, like I go to meetings in hoodies, you know, my, what I wear doesn't define my skills and who I am. I go to meetings in hoodies and and whatever, like I would meet a millionaire in a hoodie any day. You know, I don't have to dress up in a shirt and tie, but here in Caribbean is like shirt and tie. Like I can't, I remember one time I went in a shorts to go get my passport. Like you can't come in, so you can't come in at the government, short part (laughs) in government building. I was like, that rule doesn't make sense. Like you live in a tropical climate. That makes no sense. So it's just still like those same things. And as a young age, as black people could have done so many, they could have done so much jobs, but because we thought bagging groceries was above us, like we went to, we went to a good secondary school, but bagging groceries was above us. We had fruits growing out of our yards. We could sell those things as teenagers. We could sell those things and have money instead of asking and learn those entrepreneurial skills that it would take to fail, to learn pitches. All those things that we spoke about that I learned in the end, but if I learned pitches in before, it would have made my my transition in New York a lot faster. Yeah, yeah. But simple things like that was frowned upon. You know, you couldn't do anything. You can't wash car. Like you know, certain things is like you 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 selling food by the road. Like that's frowned upon in like colonial terms. You know, unless you have a job in a bank <laughs> and in a shirt and tie, it's like and the people who are dressed the best are the most successful people. And that is just, a, a, it's just something so silly. And I think once I have enough of a voice, I will come back to the Caribbean and I will let people know that even if, uh, and it, I will just keep it to middle class people because the middle class people put themselves under the other races as well because of colonialism. And I think that you could be more successful, more educated black person than let's just say 
a white person in, in Trinidad, but once a white person walks by, you're like, all right, they're better than me immediately. You know, like they're better than me immediately. Like they, you lose the battle immediately. And I see that time to time and in different, I'm in different groups of people. So I do have a lot of white friends in Trinidad. And I do have a lot of Indian friends. I do have a black friends in Trinidad. As you said, it's a multicultural society. And I do, and, and, and I do learn from each people. And I could tell that a lot of black people they compare themselves to other to other races and put themselves below before there was the battle even started. You know, like you would see a white person walking in and you just immediately think that they might be better than me in this colonial terms. But in Los Angeles, like I can walk into the most fine dining restaurant as a black person in a restaurant and I feel in, like I'm confident in myself, but I can't walk into what's, what's like the most expensive restaurant in Trinidad. Well, not most expensive. I'm thinking show cafe. All right, let's just say, let's just All right, let's just say one of those fancy restaurants, and you're gonna like try to dress a certain way and not be yourself because you want to fit in with these other people. You feel a different way, but really and truly, like you should just not the colonialism have you fe- it has you feeling that exact way, and you should really just if you practice being yourself and. I dress the way I dress and I was, I was telling like this girl, like I was going to tell this days with this girl. And I was like, yeah, I, I dress in sweats and hoodies. I'm not dressing up for you. Like, because that's not who I am. I'm not putting on a shirt and tie with flowers to pick you up because I know that's just not who I am. That's, that's not my personality. So I don't want to sell you a lie. And what a lot of black people do, and I think is because of colonialism is they sell themselves a lie and they, their lie is that they're not as good as everybody else. And they are as good as everybody else. So maybe that's the reason why they're not that many black owned businesses because we sell ourselves a little bit too short. Everybody sells themselves short unless you're like one of the CEOs, all those top people and money is, is the factor that then determines it. But apart from that, the general population looks at other races and said, oh, like this person is driving a Porsche so that, they deserve to come in the door before me, you know, or if they skip the line, it'll be all right. Well, it is because he's driving a Porsche. And for me seeing on the outside world that that's not how it works in LA, that like no one should could judge you. Cause I could be a music producer that music producers not wearing shit and tie and they're millionaires. And Dr. Dre is not wearing shit and tie, you know, he's a billionaire. So seeing that and coming back to Trinidad, I see, I see that glare into me and I see that's how I used to feel growing up I used to feel like white people are like better than us like I, I I'll tell you off the bat like I would be like yeah like oh yeah if this person pulled up I was like, oh right, yeah well they definitely come from a nice home I don't know anything about them but they definitely live in a nice area they definitely have things better off than I do and it's not true because the end of the day is the, my drive in me could be and my hunger and the family and my background. I came up with so much love and so much hunger and so much drive that any day now I compare that with anybody. I, I'm on I'm par with any single person here, you know, on that same point as any single person across the world. Yeah, man, I feel you. I feel you. And yeah, I mean, I am in investment banking and I don't wear ties anymore. <laughs> you know, right. that's my choice. I don't wear ties anymore. But you no, know, the curious mind in me can't leave this alone, right? So we talk about, you know, wearing what we want to wear. So let's go back to trying to get into the club in New York, right? right. <laughs> so if I want to wear a button-down shirt, and right. if I'm conservative, I want to wear a button-down shirt and, and slacks or whatever and go to the club, why can't I wear what I want to wear and be me and be accepted into this club? Well, you could be accepted to a club, but the club that's for you and the club 
that the guy who's wearing the ripped jeans and the new, like the trendiest stuff from France, and it doesn't have to be expensive, but just trendy, the person who's in the know it's, is going to get in because their business model is created towards a certain crowd. You don't really want to mix crowds unless you're like Las Vegas and they just, their model is just take money from everyone. But in a small environment where it's 300 people, you want your crowd curated to the point that you know who's going to be there. It's non-predictable and there's not going to be any fights, no shakeups at the door, anything like you don't need a metal detector. You don't need security to keep people away from celebrities. You know, you want to make celebrities and the high spenders feel comfortable and they feel comfortable around their crowd creatives. All right. So I have like two questions that is floating in my mind right now. Right. One, I want to know like what's a daily life like? And secondly, I want to know like how do you maintain balance and humility in the face of all this success and every time you, everything you visualize, you achieve, like how do you maintain that humility and, you know, just keep your head straight instead of up in the sky? So my daily life of, of me, so I go back to LA tomorrow, which is day after, which is Wednesday. So Wednesday will be, I wake up around 9 a.m. I don't eat until 3 p.m. every day. So I fast until 3 p.m. But I, I wake up, I have aminos. I go straight to the gym, change my clothes. I walk to the gym. I listen to motivational music listening to Gashi my year because I believe 2019 is my year. So I listen to that song and repeat till I get to the gym, get to the gym. I turn on a podcast. It would be either everything that goes into my mind from morning time, from 9am from week to I'd say till 3pm when I could switch off has to uplift my mind, has to keep it positive and I have to learn something. So I either listen to daily quotes by Sean Croxton podcast, listen to daily quotes. I would listen to either Dr. Phil and learn something in psychology. Cause I love psychology. I listen to Oprah. If she releases anything, I listen to a uh, short story, long podcast. Cause his own is based off entrepreneurs in LA. And I just, I just have to learn something new every single day, every morning. I have to like learn and put my mind in that good state because when you're, going after a dream and a goal that you can't see the end of, you need your mind and your mind has to be like on a hundred, like most times. Like there's sometimes I do get sad and sometimes it's happy guys and always so happy. But I like to say, I keep my, my body and my mind on a scale of one to 10, like a seven throughout the whole day. So if something happens and I'm a little bit sad or depressed, I would then do something to get me back up to a six a seven. And that's, that's how I, I balance myself like that every single day. So I go to the gym, come back home around 12, take a shower, um, pull up my computer, turn the news on, see what's going on. Then I probably have auditions. So my agents will then send me on, on the auditions. I have a movie and TV agent who's separate from my commercial agent, who's separate from my modeling agent. And each one of them during the day while I'm in the gym, they're seeing all the breakdowns and saying, all right, we can submit diaries for this. Let's try to get them in the room. They try to pitch me to different casting directors or directors that they know. And I, most days now I probably go into to different uh, auditions. It's episodic season, which means a lot of the TV shows like Chicago PD, uh, Law & Order, all these shows are casting for uh, guest roles. So um, it keeps me really busy. And 
while I get that stuff done, I then focus on either my podcast work. So I dedicate an hour to hour and a half to either podcast marketing learning. So I'll have YouTube on, I'll see what's new, what videos are new on YouTube while I'm working. So I can learn how to market a little better. If it's not my soccer camp, I do have a girls, all girls soccer camp in San Diego where I have professional players come in. Um, I would then focus, do I need to do marketing on this today? If not, no. And then if not, is then the public speaking part of it, um, working on bookings for the rest of the year. So those are my three things that I do. And uh, my restaurant and nightlife business takes care of itself from now. And another, that's the day in my life for me and, and my downtime. I love going to the movies, uh, watching movies, uh, hanging out with my friends back home, but I don't drink, I don't smoke. And um, I really just have to keep my mind and my body focused for when my opportunity comes. I don't want to be wake up the next day and I get an audition and my body's not prepared. I want to make sure my body's ready every time to go. I want to make sure my mind's clear every time to go. Not saying that smoking and drinking is bad, but for what I want to do and the dreams that I have, I need to be ready 24-7. Yeah, I get it. I get that ultimate focus. Hey, Darius, this has been great, man. Yep. So right now, I'm just going to give you open mic, open forum, open platform to say anything that you might want to say that, that for some reason, yeah, you actually forgot to say <laughs> during this interview. Anything you want to say, go ahead, man. It's, the floor is yours. Well, first, I want to say... I respect you for putting out this podcast. I knew how hard it was. Every time I put my podcast in, how hard it is to press send because you send it into the universe for people to judge you. So now you're vulnerable. Like your voice is vulnerable. What you say is vulnerable. And putting yourself out there and facing fear, I, I respect that for every artist. You're an artist, for creative, I respect that. I would then say... I focus more on dreamers and believers and creatives, entrepreneurs. I'll keep it to the Caribbean. I'd say people in the Caribbean, you guys have so many people that you could look up in your field right now who's, who's done what you've dreamt of doing. At some stage, you have somebody you could look up and say, oh, this person from the Caribbean or with a Caribbean background has done it so I could do it. And use every single person. Kevin reached out to me on DM and with a heartbeat, without question, I said, yes, I'll come on the podcast. Use every single person and every single person that you know as a mentor or just as somebody you could reach out to and just ask for advice. And the more knowledge that you have is better off. You'll be less mistakes that you'll make. And for sure, being a creative, a musician, an actor, artist, be prepared to fail. Be prepared to suck. <laughs> be prepared for Kevin to do a bad podcast episode. Be prepared like one of these is going to sound bad. Be prepared it didn't have vibes. But you come back next time. Learn from it. Come back. And that's, I know tons of A-listers or whatever you want to call it. Or even I could see draw reference to Premier League players, make people play Bayern Munich all over. And I listen and I I hear stories and I know and so much of it is just failure and, and their, their willingness to bounce back after failure. And failure is one thing that cripples us, but it could also be the thing that motivates us and, and gives us the, the one step built on that staircase to get higher and higher to our dreams. So keep dreaming. Don't stop dreaming. Dream big. Don't dream to, be, to win $100,000. Don't dream to be a millionaire. Dream to change the world. Dream for a billion, be a billionaire, be the next Oprah, dream to be the president. 
and visualize it, put it on your vision boards and just get to work, get to work every day. Don't take weekends. Like weekends are not for creatives and entrepreneurs. Weekends are for people who work nine to five. If you work nine to five, you could take weekends, you could take weekends off. If you're a creative entrepreneur, business owner, do not take your weekends off. Cause when you taking your weekend off, somebody's taking your place. Podcast World, there you have it. From Trinidad to Hollywood with Darius Marcelin. Subscribe to Caribbean Power Lunch at CaribbeanPowerLunch.com slash subscribe. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And with that, Podcast World, Los Angeles, Darius, yep, yep. <laughs> we are out.